Good morning. Skylar, where you at, girl? Come on down. Skylar, come on up. Everybody's got to see you now. Skylar was baptized this week. This is for you. She studied the Bible with Julia and Naomi. We you try to stand up for a second and wave? Come on, come on, come on. Oh, no, stand up, stand up. These girls are doing something right for the Lord. <laughs> All right, go out and have a seat. We're, we're glad you're here, and they'll walk through that book with you. Here at the Crossings Church, we, we love when people get baptized. We love when people choose to surrender their lives to Christ. Um, and it's awesome to see high schoolers doing that. You know, when I walked through high school myself, it was a tough time for me. And so... Um, it's cool to see that kids have an opportunity in high school to live for something different um, and to have a support group that helps them realize that it's not about the sports, it's not about the accolades, it's not about the peer pressure, it's not about uh, the popularity, but there's something much greater that they can live for. And so um, welcome to the family, Skylar, and then I'm, I'm glad you have some girls in your life that can help you walk through that stuff. Um, <clears throat> here at the Crossings Church, uh, we are glad that you're here, whether you're visiting with us or a member. The fall is so busy for us, and we have so many things that we are, we are planning to do. And we're going to start advertising and planning for this now. In your bulletins, there is a fall spectacular invite. Um, and what this is here at the Crossings Church is this is probably our biggest event of the year. Uh, we used to call it Spooktacular, um, and we used to do... A lot of different things with this, and we've had thousands of people show up to this event. But this year, we're going to kind of hybrid it a little bit with an event that our college students do called Fall Fest. Um, And we're going to take both ideas and kind of merge them together to make something really cool here at the church. And so this event, we want to start getting the word out now so that you guys have an opportunity to make sure that you're there um, to invite any of your friends or family members. Um, It's a great event. And what we end up doing is we have tons of sets that we build. Um, And so if you've ever been to like a Treats in the Trunk or, uh, I don't know, just a really cool neighborhood that you guys have seen, like people set things up in their yards and things like that. So we kind of do that, but we do that here, but we don't just open up our trunk and hand out candy like the small Treats in the Trunk. What we tend to do is we build sets. So like if we're going to do, I don't know, somebody tell me one of the sets that we're doing. We're... Okay, Space Jam. Oh my, I'm not talking about One Piece. <laughs> no. uh, Space Jam, all right? Uh, yeah, well, I know that's something we're probably going to be doing too. We have a lot of different sets, but for example, Space Jam. So we actually have people dress up in the Looney Tunes characters, and we build a set with basketball hoops, and we let the kids go up and they challenge the Looney Tunes or they play with them against a LeBron James kind of person or a Michael Jordan kind of person, and they get this chance to actually like interact with the set and not just walk by them like, that's kind of cool, but they actually get to, to do that. And we have different sets that we build for the kids to walk into like this world of just something completely different. And so we're going to do that, but we're also going to rally it around some things that we do with our fall stuff. So, you know, we'll have food out there, and we'll have um, refreshments, and we'll have live music, and we'll do some different things that people can just sit and enjoy. And there should be something there for everyone, so I encourage you guys to take these invites Take this information down so you can be there yourself, but then to hand this off to a family member, hand this off to a coworker, hand this off to anybody that you know that you're like, they could use some relationships in their life. They could use some help in their life. They could use just, just something different in their lives. And let's see what kind of, what kind of environment that we, that we can get. We're doing it from four to six as well this year. We usually do a little, a little bit later in the night, but we figured on a Saturday in the fall, that will give the time for kids who play sports in the mornings to be free before they go into their, their late night activities. So four to six, we felt like it might be a good window this year. So make sure you guys are taking notes of that and inviting whoever you guys feel like could uh, be useful for that. Um, so uh, we are actually jumping back into a sermon series that we finished up our Real True Cinema, and now we are going back into our To Be Continued series. And if you've been around the crossings for a little bit, you know that we've been in this series all year. And the beginning of this year, we really wanted to drive this idea home that our church theme was to continue what the men um, and women in the book of Acts had done to expand the church uh, for what we call Christianity today. And so we believe that as we walk through the book of Acts and as we walk through this idea of continuing something completely different, 
that we are actually a part of that story. And I'm so glad we did this because I've always read the Bible. I don't know if you're like me, but I've always read the Bible in a way that I'm like, this is a great story or this is cool history, you know? And I, and I almost, I don't have this connect to it that's like, this is really my life right now. But that's exactly what scripture is meant to be. It wasn't meant to be a history book. It wasn't meant to be a story book that you tell your kids at night. It was meant to be a reality of what we are doing today. That our lives today are meant to be a continuation of the Bible, of the scriptures, so that our names will be written down one day or our, our deeds will be written down one day for people to look back on, not necessarily like the word of God, but to look back and say, that was a group of disciples that lived exactly like the men and women did in the book of Acts. That's a, that's a church that chose to take what we did in the first century and apply it to their century so that the next century can look back and see that this isn't just something that happened in the Bible, but this happened throughout history in the next span of history. And we have a part to play in that because it is our time now to look at how we're going to look at the book of Acts. We're going to look at scripture and we're going to say, what is our mark we're going to leave because of what the mark that they left? What are we going to do because of what they did? And one day our kids and our grandchildren are going to look at our lives and say, we're going to do what we're doing because of what they did. Or they're going to say, we're going to do something differently despite what they did. See, we have, an, we have a very impactful role in how we choose to, to fuel Christianity for the next generation. Um, and, and I think when we look through the book of Acts and we see what these men and women had done, that it's important that we can take a note from them and figure out how can we continue that? How can we work through that? And so today's topic is talking about rebounding from rejection. And I don't know about you, um, but rejection is, is not a fun thing to talk about. It's not a fun thing to deal with. And when you think about rejection, I was thinking about all the different instances and times I've been rejected in my life. And some of them are quite embarrassing. Uh, for example, I will throw myself out there. I asked a girl out in high school when I was a freshman by getting a little piece of paper and saying, will you be my girlfriend? And I put a little checkbox with a yes and a no. Look at all these girls laughing at me already. And I slipped it into her locker. And then I come to find out that she had taken that note and showed it to the entire student body. Um, and so I was, I'll say for sure, she never gave me the note back, but it was definitely a no. <laughs> um, so I was rejected on way more than one level. But then there was an embarrassment that went with it that I was completely rejected by this girl and now the entire student body. Um, my young freshman years in high school were terrible. Um, I also know that there was a part of me that I had such a, a, a feeling of insecurity as a, as, a, as a kid that I once, I remember I was like second or third grade, I once paid a kid $5 to play with him on the playground at school. And it sounds super sad, right? Um, but when I look at it and I, and I think about this thing, I was so afraid that if I just asked them to play with them, that they were going to say no. So I eliminated the opportunity for rejection. And I was like, I mean, they're not going to say no to $5. So I ended up trying to get my way in to play with some kids for incredibly silly things. I'm a Kansas Jayhawks fan. All right. So most people don't like me as is just because of that. Uh, when I go to any, any sporting event that Kansas is playing away, especially at Mizzou, Mizzou fans cannot stand Kansas Jayhawks fans. And I don't know why. I don't know what the history is there. But I walked into that stadium last year, and, oh, man, the words, it was crazy. Cussing me out. You don't belong here. And it's like I didn't even say anything. Instant rejection, just even on the things that I choose to follow, the things that I'm passionate about. And it's funny because when I think about those rejection moments in my life, None of them have really defined my character. None of them have really made me into a different person. None of them have really changed the outcome of my life. But then there are some rejections that have. There are some things that I can look at my life and say, because of this, I feel differently. Because of this, I live differently. And we're going to talk about some of those as we walk through this, as we walk through this passage today, um, because I think that we can all relate. And the passage we're going to talk about today is actually in Acts 15. If you want to follow along in your notes, there are some things in your notes that you guys can see the verses and then the points that we walk through today. You guys can fill in some blanks. But we're looking in Acts 15 today about a story between a man named Paul and Barnabas. 
and a third wheel named John Mark. And what happens is, let's read this first and I'll kind of walk through it. In Acts 15, verses 36 through 41, it says, After some time, Paul said to Barnabas, Let's go back and visit each city where we preach the word of the Lord to see how the new believers are doing. See, Paul and Barnabas were pretty successful in their missionary journeys, and they were planting churches after churches after churches, and they got to a point where they said, you know what, let's circle back and see how they're doing now. Let's circle back and see the health and the success of things that we have, we have planted seeds in in different towns. And so Barnabas agreed and wanted to take along John Mark, which was a family member of, John, of, of Barnabas's. He says, let's take John Mark along. But Paul disagreed strongly since John Mark had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in their work. So now there are some issues because Paul did not want John Mark to come with him because he had deserted them earlier in their missionary work. And he goes, no, I don't want him coming with us on this walk, on this journey. And so their disagreement was so sharp that they chose to separate. Barnabas took John Mark with him and sailed for Cyprus. Paul chose Silas, and as he left, the believers entrusted him to the Lord's gracious care. Then he traveled throughout Syria and Sicilia, strengthening the churches there. You see, if you're a Bible scholar, which I'm not, um, if you're a theologian, which I have not a lot of history in, there's a huge debate in the scripture that talks about who was right here. Was Paul right for choosing to separate because he didn't want John Mark to go with him? Was uh, Barnabas right for sticking his ground, standing up for his family member, and wanting him to go with him? The answer is, I don't really care. <laughs> you know, like, the answer is here is it doesn't really matter wh- who's right in this context. It doesn't really matter what, because it's not going to change anything. The reality is when you read a scripture like this and theology can fight over this back and forth, well, he was right because he was, and he was right because of this. I, I don't really have an opinion on who was right. What I care about is how they chose to respond to their disagreement how they chose to respond to the split. Because there was a rejection here, and like it or not, they all felt it in some way. And that's our first point today, because we're going to look at five different points about how to rebound from rejection. And the first one is, I have to acknowledge that everyone experiences rejection. Everyone experiences rejection. All three of these men, in some way, must have felt rejected by the way this went down, right? Paul wants Barnabas to go with him. Barnabas says, hey, let's take my family member too. Paul says, is it not, is it, am I not good enough? You know, it, it, can it not just be us two? Do you not trust what we can do together? Or why would you think that I would want him to come with us? Do you not, you know, did you not think through that? Barnabas must feel rejected because Paul straight up said, no, I don't want him to come. So now Barnabas feels, well, what about Paul, why would you say that to me? Why would you feel like that was necessary? Why, why, why are you not okay with this? Why, why would, you know, I made a decision on what I wanted somebody to come with me and, you, and you're now telling me no. And then you got John Mark, this third wheel, being like, do, do you guys not think I'm feeling rejected right now because of how you guys are fighting about me? <laughs> like, that there must, there must have been a feeling of rejection in different levels in each one of these people's lives. Um, in Acts 15, 37, 38, it says Barnabas agreed and wanted to take along John Mark, but Paul disagreed strongly. And, you know, we don't know the context of necessarily why and the motive behind why Paul necessarily didn't want him to go. We know a motive was because he had deserted them earlier. We don't know if that was the ultimate motive, but we do know that that was definitely a motive. Um, but they could all feel a sense of rejection. Paul, I think, we can understand the most because he's probably dealt with the most rejection when you look through Scripture. In 2 Timothy 4.10, we see Paul talking to Timothy here, and he says, Demas has abandoned me. You see, Paul was very familiar with rejection. Paul was very familiar with other Christians, other brothers in Christ, leaving him. And so it would make sense in the midst of this situation where John Mark is asked to come along, who had already abandoned them once, for Paul to maybe feel resistant or hesitant to want to trust him to come back into that lifestyle. And I think what we, need to, what we can get from this is the reality that we've all been rejected. We've all been, we've all felt like we're not wanted. We've all felt like there's some sort of abandonment, and it can come in many different facets. You know, I, I look through my life, 
And I was actually trying to pinpoint because there were those silly things that I talked about with sports and with high school and things like that. But, you know, for me personally, if you don't know too much about me, my dad abandoned our family at, at a very young age. And so my, my young years in life, I had dealt with a rejection that deeply rooted into my character of my insecurity. And because my dad was not in the house, this is maybe not the only reason, but we also grew up very poor. And I went to a high school that was kind of uppity. And so not only did I grow up in a lifestyle that I felt rejected because my dad was not in the picture, but now I had my entire student body, whether it was kids that were like-minded or not, chose to reject me because of what I wore, because of my home environment, because I went to a high school, but yet was living in a town attached to the high school that was mainly known more for trailer trash than it was for what the city of the high school was known for. And so I went through high school feeling rejected by peers. I went through life being rejected by my own father. Well, then I found a relationship with God, campus ministry years for me. And I get this opportunity to invest in God to, to find community with people. And then my family rejects me. My mom and my brothers and sisters, the people who were there at least for that span of my life up through high school, choose to now look at me and say, oh, you think you're better than us. You think that this church thing can do better things for you than we've done for you. And an instant rejection from the people that were closest to me. Well, you know, most people say, well, now you have your church family to lead on. Well, if you don't know my history, the church that I grew up in and I was raised in rejected me. And the church that baptized me, the church that I invested my whole first eight or nine years of my walk with Christ, the preacher that I lived with, the campus minister that I roomed with, my entire foundation of my Christian faith, every single person in that church to some extent, had rejected me, and I had to leave that church because of the way that they choose to view that. And so where does that leave me? Every phase of my life, I have faced and went through some sort of rejection in every different facet. And in every single one of those situations, I look at my life, and I was not perfect, and I let some of those rejections consume me. I did some stupid stuff because of some of those things. And I think a lot of times I can even look at my own life and I can say, man, y'all don't even understand. First, even I said to some of our college students and our high school students, like, you guys don't get it, like what it, like, what it feels like to have an entire church. It's like for you guys that have been baptized here at the Crossings Church and this is your home and you know, you know nothing else, for you to feel the sense that you don't have that anymore. Like I've, I've had to walk through that. And it, it could be easy for me to use that as an excuse to live however I want to live, Right? We've, we've made those comments before, haven't we? Where it's, you don't understand what's been done to me. You don't understand how hard it is to live with what I live with. You don't, you've never experienced the rejection that I've felt in my life. And I've made those same comments. But guys, we have to understand that we're all in the same boat. That we've all experienced rejection but none of us have experienced it the way that Jesus did. Look at this in John 1, 1, or 1, 11. Because he came to his own people. Jesus himself came to Christians. He came to a home. He came to a family of Christ. He came to his own people. And even they rejected him. You see, I can relate to that. But I still can't relate to dying on a cross. I can't relate to the rejection being so severe that people were willing to kill me over it. And so we have to come to this understanding, guys, that we all experience rejection. But there is no rejection that we can experience that has not been overcome or dealt with in a way that can move us in a positive direction. You know, this isn't in your notes, but this is 1 Corinthians 10. You might want to drop this one down. 
1 Corinthians 10, 15. 1 Corinthians 10, 15 says, No test or temptation that comes your way is beyond the course of what others have had to face. You see, we live in a generation that we want to whine about what has happened to us. We want to make excuses as to why we are the way that we are. Oh, I'm just a product of my environment. I grew up without a dad. I grew up poor, so that's why I'm a bum. You know, I could make that excuse all day, couldn't I? Oh, I'm just irresponsible because I didn't have a, I didn't have a man in my life to show me how to do things. I could sit here and make that excuse all day. And we live in a culture that does that. We have men and women that just won't take ownership of their lives because they would rather use the excuses that they're the exception because of how they were raised. And they say, you know what? I'm just a product of my environment. I'm just, I'm just the exception. Nobody gets me. Nobody understands how bad I really got it. And you act like you're the only one that's ever had to deal with rejection or deal with anything different in your life. And then you see scripture like this where Jesus himself said his people rejected him. His people hung him on a cross. Can you relate to that? Can you feel that depth of rejection? Even in all the crap that I had to deal with growing up, I still can't relate to that. I still can't deal with that. And so we have to make a choice today, guys. We have to make a choice to look at our lives, look at the rejections that we've dealt with, and say, am I, am I making excuses because of the stuff that has happened to me? Am I making myself an exception to everyone else or am I just going to acknowledge that I, like everyone else, has been rejected and I need to make some changes? That's what we're going to get at today. Because we all know we've been rejected. But how much of your life and where you're at today is because of the excuses of the rejection that has happened in your life? And How much help have you tried to get because of it? So first, we have to acknowledge that everyone experiences this. Secondly, time to reflect a little bit. We need to ask why. Ask why was I rejected? Because this can bring some help moving forward. I have to ask why was I rejected? And there's three different ways or three different reasons that we might be rejected. And the first one is, am I, am I being rejected because I did something wrong? Did you do something wrong to make people reject you? John Mark did. This dude straight up messed up, right? He's, he's literally in an opportunity to walk with Paul and Barnabas in Pamphylia, and he abandons them. Yeah, dude, it's not because of the environment that you're raised in. You just dropped the ball. <laughs> like, you just jumped ship. You just deserted them. You just deserted them. And he is being rejected because of what he did. In Acts 15.38, says, Paul did not think it was wise to take him because he had deserted them. Another translation, which is the message paraphrase, says it differently. And I wouldn't necessarily use the message paraphrase for like your theology or your, you know, but it's, it's a good illustration at times of the emotions that might run behind scripture. And so in the message paraphrase, paraphrase in the same verse, this is the same thing that Paul says but it's, it kind of brings the emotion to light. It says Barnabas wanted to take John along, but Paul wouldn't have him. He wasn't about to take along a quitter who, as soon as the going got tough, had jumped ship on them in Pamphylia. Yeah, that kind of makes sense, right? It kind of makes sense that if you were trying to build a team that was going to go and help change lives, your first couple people aren't going to necessarily be people that you look at and say, man, you jumped ship. How are you going to help us move forward this next round? Right? And so he definitely needed to identify that John Mark messed up. And maybe that's a reason in some of the rejection that's happened in your life. Maybe you've just messed up. Maybe, maybe you did treat somebody very poorly in a relationship. Maybe you did actually screw up in your workplace. Maybe you really did not hunker down and get disciplined or get responsible and now you're being rejected by certain things because of those things. And you need to take ownership of that. We need to look at our lives and say, you know what, this is on me. I'm being rejected because of the way I chose to act or I chose to live. Next one is, are you being rejected because you did something right? Did you do something right? 
Have you been doing things the right way and because of that, rejection is happening? In Luke 6, 26, such a frustrating verse. It says, oh, how terrible for you when everyone says good things about you. You know, how bad is that? And it's a warning when you would think like, don't, don't we want people to like us? Like, as a Christian, don't we want people to accept us? And that's not what Jesus says here. He says, how terrible for you when everyone says good things about you. Their people treated false prophets the same way long ago. You know, it's, it's so frustrating because you're like, I can't, even, I can't even do things right and not get rejected. Because if I'm going to sit here and everybody's going to be on my good side and everybody's going to be like, oh man, you're doing the great things. Well, great, that's the same way they treated the false prophets back in the day. Which indicates that if people aren't rejecting us, then we're probably not doing something right. If we're just trying to be people pleasers and we're just trying to make sure that culture and our world that's around us, our bubble, our sphere of influence, if everybody's cool with us, then we must be a good Christian because we don't have any problems, right? We don't have anybody treating us differently. I could not imagine being a Kansas Jayhawks fan walking into a Mizzou stadium and just trying to get people to be cool with me. You know what I'm saying? Like, just to be able to walk in and be like, I just, I just want you guys to like me. What do I got to do to have you guys like me? Well, they're going to be like, rip that shirt off, put a Mizzou one on, you know? So in this illustration, I'm a Christian and Mizzou fans are sinners, just so you guys are clear on that, right? <laughs> And so it'd be like me walking into a, a bunch of sinners, a bunch of, a bunch of worldly people being like a Kansas fan, a, a holy man, you know, and saying, what, what do I need to do to have you guys be cool with me? And they'd want me to take off what I stand for, take off what I'm a fan of, take off what I approve of in my life and change. But don't Christians do that all the time? Don't we walk into our workplaces or our schools or our social hangouts and we say, what do I need to do to make you like me? What do I need to do to make you accept me? I don't want to feel rejection. So what do I need to change? And Jesus says, how terrible is it when this time comes in your life? How terrible is it when finally people all accept you because that means that you must have changed something about what I have told you as your Lord. And now you act like the false prophets. So even in the midst of doing something right, rejection can come. And then thirdly, am I being rejected because of something out of my control? You know, this one I don't think happens as frequently, but it's still on the table that sometimes things happen and rejection can happen and you don't have any power or control. You didn't even do anything and rejections just hit you because it's there. You know, in Titus 1.6, this is a good example, even within the church on rejection. In Titus 1.6, it talks about an elder and it talks about the qualifications of an elder within the church. And it says, an elder must live a blameless life. He must be faithful to his wife and his children must be believers who don't have a reputation for being wild or rebellious. Now, I don't know if you know much about the Crossing Church, uh, but we don't have any elders in our church. And we've actually gotten heat before in the past because of that. When we try to, when we try to seek funds for future church plants or when we try to network with other churches, one of the questions they always ask is, why do you not have elders? Oh, there's a problem if you don't have elders because you're not honoring scripture or you're not doing A, B, and C. And we look at our lives and we say, it's not that we don't want elders, we just don't have elders because we don't have the qualifications yet. It's not that we're not honoring scripture, it would be dishonoring scripture to throw somebody into eldership whenever they don't have the qualifications of an elder. It doesn't make sense. And so here at the Crossing Church, we will never entrust somebody or appoint somebody to be an elder within our church if they do not meet the qualifications that scripture clearly lines out. 
you must be faithful to your wife and you must have children who are disciples. And if you're visiting with us or you don't know something about our church, we're a restoration church. And what that essentially means is that we are breaking cycles and we are finding people in the lost, hurt, and broken world and we are giving them a, an opportunity to break a cycle in their life. And when that happens, it takes time to build longevity in a family to get elders. I can't go find a college kid and change their life and break their cycle and then in 10 years, they can be an elder. You can't go find a couple that's been struggling in their marriage and their kids have walked away from the Lord and then bring them into the church and have them have something new and then appoint one of them an elder just because they're a little bit older if their kids are still falling away. You see, it's a cycle thing, and there's a reason why Scripture has outlined it in a certain way. He says this is something that protects the church. It's something that sets an example for the church, and this is how you appoint elders within your church. And it's nothing that we have done. It's nothing that we can change. And there are tons of people within our churches that we can look at and say, your character would be great for an elder. But it's out of our control. It's not church doctrine. It's not that we feel this way. It's literally out of our control. One of the greatest father figures I have in my life is Danny Lankford. You guys, most of you guys probably know Danny Lankford. He's a member at our church in Wentzville. He brought me in. He took me under his wing. He made me a son. I'm forever grateful for Danny. And Danny's old. Danny's wise. Danny has lots of experience. His character in serving the church and the Lord is, is greater than most men I've ever met in my life would be an incredibly great candidate to be an elder. But Danny's never married. And Danny will never be an elder unless he marries and he has children that will be faithful to the Lord. And it's just out of his control. Now, Danny doesn't whine about it. Danny doesn't say, I'm going to go to a church that's going to make me an elder because I have all this. He understands it. And he realizes, well, I get, I still have an impact despite a title in my life. And if more churches would get on that plan, instead of accusing because of where's your elders, where's the titles, where's the positions, and they look more at the character of people and say, that time will come. Let's just focus on serving the Lord right now. We'd be in a completely different space, even in rejection that's out of our control. And so these questions, when you think about them, the bottom line is, is if you do the same old things, you're going to get the same old results when it comes to rejection. If you do the same old things in your life, you're going to get the same old results, whether it's you're in the right, you're in the wrong, it's out of your control. So if you like your results, do the same stuff. You know, if you like where your life's at, just keep doing those things. Sermon over for you. <laughs> like maybe everything else that we talk about today is going to just be a, a good reminder. But if you don't like the results, you don't like where your life's at, you don't like what happens to you after rejection hits. Maybe it's time to make some changes today. Maybe it's time to reflect on some things that need changing and be motivated by rejection. I never thought I'd make a quote by Sylvester Stallone, but I found a quote on rejection. Good old Rocky says, I take rejection as someone blowing a bugle in my ear to wake me up and get going rather than to retreat. You know, rejection should motivate us, not bury us. It can be a bitter experience, but it can make you a better person. And so that's what we're going to talk about today is, the, the, you know, let's, let's talk some more about this action, right? And so that's our third step today is when we talk about this idea is I need to act responsibly regardless of the situation, I act responsibly regardless of the situation. <clears throat> so we have a response to make. If, like John Mark, you know, his first point, if you've lost trust, well, you need to work to regain it. If you're somebody who's messed up and you've lost your trust because of something that you've done, you were in the wrong, well, you have to work to regain that trust. 
2 Timothy 2.2, once again, Paul talking to Timothy later down the road, says, What have you heard me teach publicly? You should teach to others. Share these teachings with people you can trust. Who knows if he was thinking about John Mark here or Demas here, people that he had trusted when he says this. He says, share these with people you can trust. Then they will be able to teach others these same things. You see, Paul might have had some reservations on Demas and John Mark because he realized that what he was trying to instill in mature disciples was meant to be a cycle that they could once grab, take, reflect, absorb, and give to another generation. But if there were these people in the middle that were supposed to be getting this information and kept dipping out, he's telling Timothy, you need to be careful and make sure that the people that you're really investing the spiritual time into to, to help the next generation, that these are people you can trust. You know, you don't just want to invest all this time and, and give all these titles and give all these positions and give all, this, give all this energy to this group of leaders in your church if you don't trust they're going to stick around to help the next generation out. And so he tells them this thing so that he can understand he needs to be looking for these kind of people. 1 Timothy 3.7, he talks earlier in that, and he says, talking about an elder here, he says, he, an elder, must have a good reputation. You see, reputation and trust, it takes a long time to build, doesn't it? But one minute can take it all away, right? An entire reputation can be lost in one action. So many role models in the sports world, right? You watch on TV all the time. It doesn't matter what sport it is. And they build these reputations up. And then you see one thing happen. One player in the wrong club at the wrong time. One assault charge shows up out of nowhere. One DUI shows up. One drug charge. One arrest. One anything. But a reputation has been built for so long and then it gets lost. And then they have to rebuild that trust with their own teammates. They have to rebuild that whole, and it takes time. But there's actions that have to happen. And so... That's what we need to make sure that we're looking at as we regain trust when we lose that trust. It's not a fun thing to do, but it's the action that needs to happen. But on the other hand, if you're like Paul and you obey Jesus and you, you, didn't, you didn't lose trust here, well, what do you got to do? You got to continue to obey. Well, that's not fun either, is it? Especially when people reject you for doing the right stuff. You see, neither one of these are cool answers because, like, if you mess up and people don't trust you now because you messed up, well, now you got to work your butt off to regain that trust and that credibility. But if people choose to reject you because you keep on doing the things that God wants you to do, that's not a good feeling either. But the answer is, we'll just keep doing that same stuff, you know? And nobody, like, neither one of these are, like, cool situations to be in when it comes to rejection. But both of them are both situations that have to happen. And, and Paul understood this because later down the road, he has this conversation in Galatians. And I love this verse, Galatians 1.10. It says, am I now trying to get people to think of me well, or do I want God to think well of me? Am I trying to please people? Because if I were, I would not be serving Christ. This is, this is one of the very first verses I had ever memorized in the Bible. And so, you know, I'm going to tell you a story about Katie and I. Um, there, you know, Katie and I dated when we were, you know, 18 or so. <clears throat> and we had messed up. You know, we were, my mom was going through cancer. Her parents were going through a divorce. And you can only imagine what 18-year-olds are going to do in the midst of that. And so we chose to put our foundation in each other, and we got wrapped up in a lot of sin. And it got to the point that we essentially broke up. And I continued to go to school at SIUE. And then she had just graduated high school. And she moved to Lindenwood University on the other side of the river. And it took us some time to, like, like finally, like, separate. And even though she moved away, like, we still wanted to connect. And we still had insecurities in each other. And it took a while for us to, like, finally draw a line and just move forward independently, you know? And 
I took a lot of time in that time frame just trying to be a disciple. You know, I started, I started being a bro again in a certain way. Like, I spent so much time with some guys. I started hanging out in the dorms more. I started, you know, I was, I was studying the Bible with guys. I started baptizing a couple guys. There's a couple of my closest friends that I baptized, I became roommates with. And I felt like my life was going in a different direction. And I was like, all right, fine. I'm finally over her. I can move forward. And I don't even know where she was at in the middle of all this stuff because I wasn't, I wasn't around her. I wasn't contacting her. And it was, you know, this is probably six or eight months or so that had went by. And then, uh, you know, I had noticed somebody, some one of the girls in, in the church. And some of my guys were like, you should ask her on a date. And I was so hesitant because I was like, I don't know if I'm like completely over Katie or not. You know, it's been, I haven't really seen her since. And so like, I don't really know. And I had reservations, but I kind of felt like my actions were showing that like I was kind of over the situation. And that's kind of how my leaders thought too. And they're like, yeah, no, no, you've been, you look good. Like you, you know, like you, you've been, you've been really focused on things. Like you've been, you should just ask her on a date. So sure enough, I did. I asked this girl on a date and we go on a date. And it was in the summer. And what's crazy is uh, in the summer we do church camps and we partnered with the crossings churches and things like that. So we go to a church camp where I volunteered and Katie volunteered. And, and I saw Katie for the first time in probably eight months and I went, oh crap, I'm not over her. And so I did some stupid stuff at that camp. I don't know if she's in here or not, but uh, I flirted with Katie at that camp, and I, you know, I made it pretty clear that I was like, I'm still into you, you know, kind of things, and I did some stupid stuff. I did, I did not make a little check yes or no box. I didn't do that one, um, but I did some pretty, I did some pretty silly stuff, but yet there was this girl back home that I had went on a date with already, and I knew I was in a bad place, and I even tried to do damage control while I was there, but there wasn't much that was done. So as soon as I got home, there was a talk that was had with me. And it was like, I can't believe you chose to act like this. I can't believe you chose. And in my, in my heart, I genuinely had felt like I was over her. But when that physical, and you guys have probably felt this way before, right? Like you get space from somebody, but then like when you're in the same room again, like emotions come back. And that's kind of where I was at. But it didn't matter because I chose to act in a way that messed me up. And I say all this because there are still people in that church, and especially in that girl side of that campus ministry at that time, that had viewed me like a womanizer, that viewed me as somebody that was just going to go from girl to girl and play with their emotions and play with their feelings. And I felt like I was trapped. And I didn't really know what to do because I was in the middle of a situation. I was like, I want to please Katie. I want to get back on her good side because I still have feelings there. But I also am invested in this church and in this ministry that I want these girls to realize that, like, I'm a good dude. Like, I want to support. Like, I don't want to use girls in, in, this, in, this, in this way. And I, I went through a downward spiral real fast. And all I was focused on was pleasing people. Could it be maybe that I was abandoned at a young age from my, from my dad? Could it be that I had no peer support in high school, that I felt like I just wanted to fit in and be accepted by everyone? You know, once again, those decisions and those rejections made me act certain ways that I can now pinpoint back to me. Like, that's probably why I acted the way that I acted. But for me, it took a verse like this. Because after all this stuff happened, I remember laying at the preacher's house at that time, that's where I was living, and I put a couple sticky notes up on the wall. And there were verses, there was about seven of them. And anytime I started getting my feelings or my thoughts about where I was at, this was the very first verse I had on the wall. And I laid in bed and I just stared at it and I memorized it time and time and time again. I said it out loud and I said, what am I doing? Am I trying to please all these girls to get back on their good side to be trusted again? Am I trying to please Katie to make sure she's cool with me? Am I trying, what am I doing? I need to be pleasing God. I need to stop focusing 
on how I'm viewed and start pleasing the one that really matters. And I wish that there was a good ending to this story because I know that there are still women in that church that view me that way. Whenever this church split happened that I was rejected and I chose to leave, a lot of people in that church still to this day believe that I left that church to follow Katie, to chase her down. And the reality was is that we weren't even talking at that time. She was still ignoring me. She didn't want anything to do with me yet. But that's still how they feel about me because of my actions. And I say all this to you guys to say that sometimes you are going to mess up and people are not going to trust you. Sometimes you're going to do things that just weren't right. And you may never get the peace of mind that that person's convinced that you are a different person. There are still people in this world that look at me in that certain way. But yet I've been entrusted to stand on the stage and talk about God's word to you. It's kind of a weird feeling, you know, to know that there's people in the world that still probably think I'm a hypocrite, but yet I'm trying my best through my actions to live something differently. And that's my challenge to you guys today is that, you know, if you're, if you're, if you're feeling rejection and you're feeling that people don't trust you, the challenge is to view this like Paul views this in Galatians. And, and, and guys, my plea is to stop focusing on what people think about you. Stop trying to please people to make them okay with what you have done because what you have done is not okay. And all we can do now is move forward and try to rebuild and reconcile our relationship with God in hopes that maybe one day they will see something different. That's the best we can do. We can't change people's hearts and minds, but we can remain faithful to God and that may change people's hearts and minds. So my plea is to act like Paul did and serve God and stop serving people, stop pleasing people. In Acts 4, 19 through 20, it says some of the same stuff. It says, but Peter and John spoke right back. Whether it's right in God's eyes to listen to you rather than to God, you decide. As for us, there's no question. We can't keep quiet. Which one's better here? There was no question when Peter and John said, it's to focus on God. It's to continue to obey Jesus in the midst of our rejections, in the midst of our insecurities, in the midst of struggling with what people may think about us. There is no question that it is so much more important to focus on our relationship with God and how we act moving forward than what we're trying to prove to other people. And I'll tell you guys a little bit of hope is if those people don't see that reconciliation and if they're not willing to forgive, that's between them and God one day. If people aren't willing to view you differently because you're doing things right for God, that's a fight they'll take up with God one day. But you have no part of that anymore. Your responsibility is to take the mistrust, take the rejection, and live life moving forward in a way that can please God. All right, we gotta zip through this last one, these last two. Four is I acquire assistance to encourage and equip me. I acquire assistance to encourage and equip me. See, Acts 15, 39, it says, their disagreement was so sharp that they separated. Barnabas took John Mark with him and sailed for Cyprus. And in Acts 15, 40, it says, Paul chose Silas, and as he left, the believers entrusted him to the Lord's gracious care. There should have been a third wheel that felt abandoned here, Right? It's a, it's a three-person situation. Somebody should have left here salty, right? Somebody should have left here sulking, being like, what about me? That, that's, how, that's how it should have went down. There's only three. You can't divide that evenly. So what happens? They're smart enough to bring a fourth person in. They're smart to realize we may have disagreed here. There may have been a rejection, but we need to understand that we can't face this rejection by ourselves. How many times do we get rejected and we isolate? You know, how many times do we get rejected and we choose to just go somewhere else and deal with it on our own? We don't want to deal with people anymore. People have hurt us too much. But neither one of them, which once again tells me like, I don't really care who's right or wrong. They're acting wisely. 
they're both choosing to have a disagreement and move forward in a godly way. They both brought somebody along with them. And what's cool is that they both brought somebody. There is, there is a sense of maturity, whether it was Paul or Barnabas, that in this rejection, there was a mature person. So my question to you is, what in the world do you do when you feel rejected? Do you isolate? Do you go hide? Do you go find people? Because there's three different things you can do here. You can, you can isolate and put yourself around nobody and just sulk, poor me, I'm the exception, I'm a product of my environment, I've just, you know, I've just been rejected my whole life and I just, I'm just going to whine about it, right? That's one person. That's the person that leaves alone. Then there's somebody else that says, oh, this sucks. And, th- and they choose to leave because of the rejection. And they go find people, but they don't find wise people. They go find the weakest people in the church, the weakest people in their ministry. And be like, see, I'm still being relational. But like these guys or these girls that you're hanging out with, you know they're not going to talk to you about the problem. You know that you're not going to have deep conversations about the problem. You know you're not ever going to fix the problem. But what are you going to do? You're going to drown yourself in a video game. You're going to drown yourself in a, in a Netflix show. You're going to drown yourself in gossip about something else that you guys can talk about to get your, your thoughts and minds off of it. And you're never going to fix the problem. You're never going to heal from it. Neither one of those are healthy. So when we're rejected, we, we can hide even when we're with people. But Paul and Barnabas knew that that wasn't the way to handle this. They knew that they needed to find people and get assistance through their rejection. So they bring a couple guys along with them that are going to help them with that. And my question to you today is, who do you bring along in your rejections? Do you, do you have wise people in your life that you can run to in the midst of rejection? Do you have people that you know won't let you get away with isolating yourself in rejection? Or do you still kind of puff up your chest and say, you know, I can handle this myself. I don't need people. People, after all, are the ones that have hurt me in the first place. Where do you go and how do you connect with people? You know how incredibly hard it was for me to have a church reject me and then to go find Christians after that to trust? That same night that I left that church, I had a conversation with my best friend. And he had said, you know, you can't have your heart in two places. You can't fully be invested here and fully be invested in another church. And I agreed. I I agreed at that point. And he says, so if you can't fully get your heart 100% committed to this church, I'll help you pack your bags tonight. And I was a 20-year-old kid. I didn't know anything about a relationship with God yet that I should have been a Christian for a handful of years. And it could have been really easy for me to leave that conversation and run back to my house where I didn't have a dad and I had a toxic mom and a toxic family that didn't help me. It could have been easy for me to go isolate back to my own self and not deal with anybody but I don't know why, for some reason, I drove to Ashley Catazon's house. And if you guys don't know who that is, that's the youth leader at the church in Wentzville. And her and her husband, RJ, sat and talked with me all night while I bawled my eyes out that everything that I had known about Christians was questioning if I should trust again. T.C. Brown met up with me that same night, too. He's a campus minister, one of my best friends at our church in Interbelt. And we all three were sitting there, talk, four of us were sitting there talking. And the next couple days, I spent every day with Carrie Cox, who's also one of my best friends and is a campus minister at the church in Wentzville. And I have no clue as to why I let church hurt motivate me to go try to find other people who I didn't even know nearly as well as the people that had invested in my life religiously But something told me that I should just keep trying to find those people. And some of you guys have got some church hurt. Some of you guys are like me, and it's hard for you to trust Christians because Christians are the ones that have hurt you. And my encouragement to you guys is just keep trying. 
Because the, the, other, the only alternative is to quit. The only alternative is to quit and to go back into a world that you definitely know there's no trust. And as painful and as hurting as that is, you have to find people. Because what can you do? I talked about this in the teacher sermon today, and I was so grateful for our teachers for what they do with our kids. Because, you know, it's, it's, it's hard enough for me to deal with church hurt. And it's hard enough for me to live through everything I've lived through in my years in ministry, even as young as I am, to figure out how in the world I am where I am <laughs> with everything that's been, been done to me. But I still live this life as a campus minister. And I watch college kids come in and out of my house. You see, we do things called cross chats here at the Crossing Church. How many of you guys have ever been to a cross chat? Right? So we, we do cross chats. And our young adults, some of you guys have been to the campus ministry, you high school and junior high kids, you do this every single day. And what we do at the Crossing Church is we invite the world into our homes. We invite the people that we are connecting with in the world into our physical homes to show them what a family of God can do for their life. But you can't invite somebody into your home and show them what the family of God can do without showing them the family of God. And for you high school and college kids, that means something a little different to you. For you, camp, you, know, for you college students, that means something different because cross chat runs a little deeper for me. Because at CrossChat, they don't just meet your family, they meet my family. And so for, you know, I guess Peyton's six now, for six years, I've had college kids imprint on my children. It's one thing for a college kid to leave my house and say, you know what, I don't want this life. Yeah, that hurts me. But when it's one of my kids, when it's one of my daughters, that these kids will get on their backs and they'll wrestle with them and week after week and they join our church and they join our ministries and these kids get to feel something. And then a college kid says, you know what? I'm done with this life. I've dealt with that my whole life. And I have to deal with my own hurts in my own way. But to watch my kids have to deal with that same hurt. What am I supposed to do as a dad? Should I stop being a Christian? Should I tell my kids that this is the wrong way to go about life? Should I tell them it's better to, to shelter them and hide them in a safe house because people are going to hurt them? What am I supposed to do there? I do my best to do what Scripture says. This is rejection. This is part of life. And they have to understand the hurt. And it sucks. And I hate that my kids have to deal with this. But they got to deal with it. They can't hide from it. They can't ignore people. They can't isolate. They can't walk through life not letting people get close. Because you guys know what that feels like. Because I know what that feels like. My whole life growing up, I knew what that felt like. And I don't want my kids to feel that side of my life. So we have to look at our lives and figure out how, how do we do that? And I encourage you to find people in your life and just continue to try to find people in the church that you can trust because Ultimately, they will let you down. And then you have a decision to make. Do you just go run and hide again and blame the church? Or do you try to find other people and rebuild that? It's not a fun cycle. But the ultimate, you know, the, the other option in the world is, 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 nothing, is nothing better. Because in the midst of it, you will find those people. My kids have a Reggie, you know. My kids have a Reggie Cross. 
who they stayed the night at, at Reggie and Iona's house. They have those, you know. I don't even know I'm crying now, but I'm, a, I'm incredibly grateful for the ones who have stayed. I'll say that. The people that my kid can look at, my kids can look at and say, you've been here since the beginning. I said that to our teachers too. I said, it's just so nice for us to have some people that have stayed. And you college kids, you, you're, you're in the same boat. The ones that stay and fight through for their faith. As a father, I'm incredibly grateful more than you know. I might have got off topic there, but there's hope placed in that. And that's kind of what gets us to our last point, is that despite this rejection, despite not giving up, despite not, not being somebody who quits, not being somebody who isolates, but if you can continue to do the right stuff, point five is I anticipate God can use my rejection for his glory. God can use the crap that has been done to you if you don't quit and you fight for what's right. He can build a family. He can build a home. He can rebuild that trust. He can build something that is beneficial for your life. Paul talks about Demas, right, in 2 Timothy. He says, Demas has deserted me. He talks about the church hurt that he already has with somebody like Demas. But let's finish that, let's finish that verse. It says, for he loves his own life. Demas left for his own selfish reasons, and it hurt Paul. But look at where the hope is laced in here, because we, we cut this verse for a reason earlier, but look at what he says here. He says, that only leaves Luke... So find Mark and bring him with you. For he's a tremendous help for me in my ministry. The kind of hope that God can restore a person's life, for Paul to be so hurt by Mark, but then later says, bring Mark. He is a tremendous help. He has restored his faith. He has, he has brought hope. He is an incredible help for the ministry. Guys, I'm telling you, if you do not give up in the rejection and you choose to fight for what's right, God has an awesome plan in store for you. He has people that are willing to use you, and he wants to use your story and your rejections to help other people. And 1 Peter 5.13 says, The church in Babylon, who was chosen like you, sends greetings. Mark, my son in Christ, also greets you. You see, Mark was making his rounds. Mark didn't sulk, Mark didn't hide, Mark didn't isolate, Mark didn't choose to close out Christians, Mark chose to do the work. And he got community, he got around, and, and his reputation changed because of his actions. And maybe you didn't put this connection together yet, but in Mark 1.1, the beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God, as it is written Isaiah the prophet. See, it wasn't just Isaiah the prophet that was written, but the mark of the gospel is the same mark that we talked about with Paul and Barnabas. Mark was entrusted to be one of the four men in all of history to write the life of Jesus Christ in a way that impacts us today. The same mark that chose to desert them in Pamphylia is the same mark that wrote the gospel that can help us see Jesus for who he really was. There is incredible hope laced in somebody who chooses not to give up in the midst of rejection. So my challenge to you guys today is simply that. How are you going to rebound to rejection? I encourage you guys to pull out a communication card that you guys have in your guys' bulletins. Um, it's a little cardstock piece of paper with our, with our name on the front and, or our logo on the back. And I encourage you guys all to fill out this card. And I don't know where you're at today, but I know rejection is real, and it happens to all of us, and we can all respond in different ways. You know, if maybe you've never had community and you've been hurt, I encourage you just to take a shot of trust, to just take, take a limb and try to connect to somebody. And maybe you want to know more about our small groups, or maybe you just want to get coffee with somebody, and, and maybe there's not a box for that, and you can just write in the prayer comments, I would just like to get to know somebody. 
I like to just talk about my feelings or talk about the hurts and just try. You know, maybe you're not at that level yet and you just, wanna, you just want some community. Um, maybe get into God's word. That's a great place to build trust with somebody is to just look at God's word and maybe indicate that you want a Bible study and, and you can look at how God wants to use your rejection, but also how you can build trust with, with people again. You know, I don't really know where you're at today, but I know we all deal with rejection. And I know out of my own life, I have done some stupid stuff because of my rejection. And maybe you need some help with those things. Maybe you, maybe you have done some stupid stuff and you've been rejected and you've resorted to drugs or alcohol or bad relationships or whatever it may be. And you've made some mistakes and you need some help. And we have support services for those kind of things. That it doesn't have to be over. You don't have to, be, you don't have to feel rejected anymore because of your mistakes. We can bring somebody in to help you with those things. I'm grateful for this church because in the midst of all of my rejection, I have a different life now. I have a wife that loves me. I have children who look up to me. I have a family that I, I, never, I never could even have dreamed of with all the rejection that I went through in life. And I credit it all to my relationship with God and 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 the people that he has helped me mold for what I already have. You see, God himself has made my family the way that it is because he has sent people to mold me. And I think sometimes we don't understand that. And that's why church is so important. That's why community is so important is because we can't just say God has got us to where we're at because of who God is, but God is who he is because he chooses to send people to show who he really is to help me. And I think so many people don't have that opportunity and they just believe it's them and God that's going to make their life great. But man, it's not. And God even says that. He says, it can't just be me. I'm sending you people to make your life better. You want to be a good dad? Look at my word, but also trust the fathers in your life, the Danny Lankfords, you know, like trust the people. And so I encourage you guys to just get connected somehow. Um, so what we're going to do is we're going we're gonna to sing a song. I'm going to pray and we're going to sing a song to give you guys some opportunity to fill out that card. But I encourage you guys, please just deal with your rejection in a godly way and see what he can do with it. It's done, it's done wonders for me. Um, and I know he can do wonders for you too. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for the opportunity to be able to rebound from rejection. Um, I I don't know why I was crying so much today, God. I think it's just because I don't deserve what I have. And, you know, with the hardships of life, with the, the rejection of feeling of what my kids have to go through, God, sometimes I, just, I forget the perspective of the life that I had in the midst of my own rejection and how I chose to, res- to respond to it. But God, I also remember in my college years, in my young adult years, how I responded to rejection in your way and how my life has blessed me from that. And so God, that's all I can do for my kids is to try to teach them how to handle rejection in a way that can still bless their life and not to, not to isolate in a way that almost ruined mine. And God, I pray that every single one of us in this room is dealing with some sort of rejection and that we can ask the same questions. How can we respond in a way that can help our life and not respond in a way that will downspiral it? I pray this in your son's name. Amen.